0: Session
1: with Dr. Good afternoon and welcome to In Session with Dr. Fadid Holokwi. I'm your host, Dr. Fadid Holakwi, and I'll be with you for the next two hours here on Radio Hamra. Studio number to call in: 310-441 zero five five five. I'm a licensed clinical psychologist, so you can call in with any questions related to clinical psychology, including any emotional or psychological issues, parenting issues, and relationship issues as well. You can also follow me on Twitter or Instagram or like my page on Facebook to get updates on the show and suggest topics for the program. And the shows are uploaded at the end of each week to my SoundCloud page and free podcast on iTunes. Again the studio number three one zero I wanted to announce the book for this week. It is Sapiens, A Brief History of Humankind by Yuval Noah Harari. Sapiens, A Brief History of Humankind. And it's a very interesting book, um, the amount that I've read so far, looking at the development of the human species, and it's much more complicated than... I even really realized, but also looking at how things like culture developed and uh, evolved over time as well. So hopefully you'll join me in reading that. I'll talk about it next week. Um, Speaking of which, Monday, because of the 4th of July holiday weekend, I won't be having a live show. So it'll be next week on Wednesday that I'll discuss that book. And another big thanks to Sarvanaz Amonat, who joined me Monday night to talk about her book, Self-Hell, which was the book of the week for last week. Uh, it was really interesting discussion and get to hear her inspiration also describing the images that she included in that uh, wonderful book. So if you don't have it already, I posted links on my social media where you can go ahead and purchase her book. wanted to start the show today uh, talking about a small short talk I saw by Dan Ariely. He's a psychology professor who also has contributed to behavioral Economics. He's written books like Predictably Irrational and The Honest Truth about Dishonesty. And it was a short animated TED talk that he gave, and I'll post that on my social media as well. I hope you can check it out. Um, looking at how we view relationships and how that can have an impact in our lives. So, this is, uh, let me tell you a little bit about what he talks about, and I'll share my thoughts as well. He starts off by saying that when we meet someone, um, or if we see people and we don't know them that well, they look better than when we get to know them more. In the sense that the more we get to know someone, the more we see their faults and flaws and their wrinkles and uh, whatever else it might be that they have, blemishes. But the further away they are, the less we see that. Or even he talks about studies where when we make people, we put their, make their image a little blurrier or fuzzy, hard to see, all people become more attractive, but then when you actually can see them a little bit better, then they become less attractive because you see all the flaws and faults and things of that nature. And then he uses this to talk about relationships. And actually, he mentions that it's not just in romantic relationships that it's this way. Even when companies are looking for a new CEO, it seems that they tend to think that someone outside the company looks more appealing than someone inside, or they have a more favorable view of people outside the company because they don't know them yet. They just see the polished resume, but they don't see the faults and flaws that this person has, unlike someone within their own company that they know well, and they know about those things. And he says that they actually tend to pay those CEOs that come from outside the company more, but they also perform worse. So it's an interesting thing that we we do we tend to think that someone from the outside is going to be better because we don't really know them yet to see those faults and flaws that we all have whereas we'll judge someone from within our own company a little bit worse so if we look at then relationships when you're in a romantic relationship you're going to be with your partner and of course you can grow more fond of them as you get to know them better, and you usually do, and you get more connected to them, and you have a relationship, and all of those good things that are there in the relationship. But then, when you view someone outside the relationship, a, new, a potential partner, they're always going to seem better because you don't see those flaws, you don't see those negative points, and this is something we see a lot when people are in a relationship and they start thinking about straying or feeling attraction to other people, and they think, "Wow, you know, so and so from work." he's just great and you know, he. there's nothing negative about him from what you see so far because you don't know him very well. Or some a woman in, that you just start to meet and you think, wow, this person's so much easier to talk to her and she doesn't have all these stresses that I have in my home life with my wife. Well, of course, you don't have those struggles with someone you don't know that well. And of course, you don't see the faults or flaws in someone you don't know that well either. And he also goes on to say what can exacerbate this or exaggerate this effect is social media. If you go to someone's Facebook page, they're just presenting themselves in their best light, literally and figuratively. And I mean literally as in the pictures they post, they're looking their best and the lighting is good and they edit it and they Photoshop it and do all sorts of things. And you're only seeing them at their best moments. You're only seeing them in their best. So if you compare that to someone you are with, who you see all of, and you experience all of the good, bad, and the ugly, it can almost always seem more appealing. It's always going to seem more attractive because you're like, oh, look, there's none of those problems that I have here with my partner. I see them there. But of course, if you're then with that person, then you'll see that they have their own faults and flaws as we all do. So this gives some uh, kind of credence to that idea of the grass is always greener. Yes, from far away, the grass looks greener because you don't see that there are parts of it that aren't growing so well or it's not so green after all the grass you're within you can see what's happening and all the stuff that's going on but from far away everything can seem really nice so this is something to keep in mind if when you're in a relationship that you might look at your partner and now that you get to know him or her you do see everything the good and you see that even more than you got to see at the beginning but of course also more of the bad shows up the longer you get to be with someone but recognizing that whoever you're with they have these qualities and being in relationship means I am with you with all those qualities that you have and I accept all those qualities that you have because I recognize that you also see me as a full human being with the good and the bad parts and you accept that as well so we have to keep this in mind when we're in a relationship that when you look outside yes, the grass is always greener, but that's not really the case. It appears that way. It seems like everything is nicer and and easier um, than it is. He also talks about commitment in this short talk um, and that the idea of actually how easy it is to find someone new with things like Tinder and Facebook and different dating apps and websites, it can make us feel less committed because we think, well, as he puts it with one click, I could have a date with somebody else. And you look at your partner and you think, oh, he or she, you know, isn't so great. And look at him and I go online and you go to a dating site and everyone is again polished and putting their best pictures on there. And you think, gosh, this seems so much better and more exciting than what I have in my life. But he makes an analogy of if you were to live in an apartment and the way your lease is set up is that each day you get to renew the lease or you have the choice to renew the lease and also the landlord has that same choice where they think, okay, do I want to renew it or not? And every single day when you wake up, you have to make this decision and the landlord does the same thing and that determines whether or not you're going to be in this place anymore. And he says, well, if you have that kind of a setup, do you think you're going to invest a lot into that apartment, um, patching up the walls and cleaning it up, putting flowers or decorating it in a really nice way and investing a lot of money in it? Probably not because you don't know if you're even going to be there the next day. So why would you invest so much into it when it could be a waste and you might not even be there? So you probably won't do very much. And the same thing goes for our relationships. When you're in a relationship, but you have one foot out the door the whole time, you're not going to invest very much into that relationship. And this is why I know some people think, oh, I, they, I'll hear people say things like, I don't believe in marriage or why put a label on something even in getting in a relationship. And you know, it's a very common thing people say when they don't want to be in a relationship is I don't believe in labels or I don't believe in uh, commitment or monogamy or whatever else they might say. And everyone can make their own choice. But we do have to recognize that when we don't invest or when we don't commit to a relationship we're also less likely to then invest in that relationship why would i spend so much time investing in it if i don't know it's going to be there tomorrow is there a guarantee that your relationship is going to last forever of course not we can never make that guarantee and even when people get married and they make that commitment to each other we all know that it doesn't mean it's impossible for that marriage to dissolve or for there to be a divorce But we recognize that these two people are committing to each other that I'm going to work to make this relationship work. I'm not just going to give up on it when it gets difficult or complicated or if there's a rough patch. That's why we say things like through sickness and health, uh, you know, through the good times and the bad times, whatever else, whatever else we go through, I'm going to commit to it. And without making that commitment, it's hard to expect that a relationship will work. So when it comes to things like marriage, I know people, especially nowadays, think, oh, it's old-fashioned and it's things that people used to do, but why should we do it now? There's no reason to do so. There is some um, benefit that comes from committing to your partner, to committing to that relationship. Because when you do so, when you say, I am in this, I am committed to this, well, then you are saying that I am willing to invest in it as well, and so is your partner. And so it means that I'm not going to just look for someone else as soon as things get rough. And especially when people on the outside already look better, well, this makes even a worse recipe. Well, I'm not so committed to you, and there's so many wonderful options out there that don't have the problems that you have, even though they do, but it appears that way. This is a recipe for people to not be very committed and for relationships not to last. So although it's a little bit old-fashioned, to me, this idea of committing to someone and even Making that declaration that I commit to you for life has a lot of uh, benefit to both people and to the relationship. We're saying, I'm fully committed to this and I'm going to fully invest in it. The other option is, "Eh, I'm not so sure I'm committing to this. And as a result, we know we're not going to invest as much into making the relationship work. And relationships are a lot of work, as I've talked about on the show so many times. You have to be ready to face some rough times. And even that expectation is very important. The fairy tales that we sometimes think and we want to believe about love and relationships, that it should always be good and be nice and happily ever after, that's very misleading and unfortunately pushes people to end relationships because they think, well, oh look, this isn't happily ever after, we're fighting or I haven't felt good in the relationship for about a week or even longer, and I don't feel very good, that must mean I have to call it quits. This is not the right one because I'm expecting things to be happily ever after and to be easy. But that expectation is not the reality. The reality is that it's gonna be painful. Some parts won't feel good. You'll not You'll have fights, you'll have difficulties. Sometimes you won't feel as connected. There's these ebbs and flows of the relationship that we have to ex- expect. And because of that, be ready to then work through them. And that's, again, where the commitment comes in. I'm not just going to leave when things get rough. If I know they say every morning you should choose your partner again, and I think it's good to make that commitment to your partner every day. But if using that analogy of the landlord, the person renting the apartment, if every day you really had to choose as today, do I want to be with my partner or not? Are things feeling good or not? There might be many days where you would say, no, I don't want to be with him or her. But recognizing that the commitment means we're going to try to make it work and recognize there are these ups and downs, the relationship is very different. So I thought the talk was very interesting because it makes a few very important points to keep in mind. The first one, that people on the outside are always going to appear better than who we are closest to because we don't see those faults and flaws and although they have them, but they're not apparent to us, and people just appear more attractive. And then also that when we don't fully commit, we don't fully invest. If we're not committed to our partner and to the relationship, we're not going to invest as much time, energy, effort to make it work. And this is going to make it more likely that it doesn't work. So commitment can go a long way in that regard. All right, we've reached our first commercial break. Again, the book for this week, Sapiens by Yuval Noah Harari. Studio number 3104410555. You're listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Terlaki. We'll be right back. Back to In Session with Dr. Fadi Talaqui, studio number 3104410555. In the previous segment, I talked about a small talk I saw by Dan Ariely, which I'll post on my social media, where he talked about how people tend to seem better the less we know them, as far as they seem more attractive when we don't know them because we don't see their faults, flaws, and blemishes, and that also when we don't commit to something, we're less likely to invest in it. Whether that's your apartment or if it's a relationship where you won't feel like you're going to commit. If you're not committed, you're not going to want to invest as much into it. But I also mentioned a bit and I wanted to talk more about having realistic expectations when it comes to relationships, because this is very important to understand what we're getting ourselves into and also know what we want when we're getting into a relationship. And if those expectations are reasonable and realistic, or not, because very often people enter relationships with unreasonable expectations or unfair, even expectations. And that leads to lots of problems and complications. Things don't work out. And there are extra things that complicate it, including things like gender roles and the changes that we're seeing, um, and as far as masculinity, femininity, and the roles of men and women that also add to this as well. So to begin with, you have to really ask yourself, do I want to be in a relationship? There's nothing wrong with not being in a relationship or getting married, but you have to make sure if you want to do it, it's for the right reasons. So social convention will tell you you should get married, but if you're not sure if that's for you, if you don't think of yourself as marriage material, then don't do it because other people tell you to do so. And family members don't pressure your kids, your nephews and nieces, your grandkids to get married just because they're supposed to do that people should get married because they want to do it because that's the decision they want to make. And specifically that means I'm ready to be in a relationship or in a in setup where I'm going to have to always keep someone else in mind. And of course then if you have kids more people get added to that equation, but am I ready for that to really always be thinking of someone else? Doesn't mean you neglect yourself and absolutely, you know I think we have to make sure we take care of ourselves first but in essentially every decision you're making everything you do that partner is in mind that person is a part of your life and because of that there is going to be a level of compromise in your life at some level sometimes people that's why they don't want to get married they say a relationship is going to hold me back and i don't think it necessarily is the truth it's going to have to hold you back in your life but at some level you have to be ready to commit to someone and to always have them in mind, meaning that yes, there will be some compromise and your life won't be exactly the same as if you were alone. But for most people or many people, they think it's going to add to their life, not take away. So first you have to even think, do I want to be in a relationship, which means do I want to be in a a setup where I have to always be concerned with someone else, their happiness and sadness, not that it becomes completely my happiness and sadness, but I am always concerned about it. And this is what I tell couples. If you have a fight, sometimes one partner says, you did this, and the other one says, I don't care. Well, it's not that you have to agree with them or to think they're even right, but if they said something, you did hurt my feelings, the part that they are hurt, you have to care about and then want to talk about it. Doesn't mean you agree, doesn't mean you think they were right and you were wrong, or you did something horrible, but anytime their feelings get upset or hurt by something you did, you have to at least care about that. So if you don't want to be in that type of an engagement and commitment, then don't do that. Again, you are not don't have to get married. You definitely don't have to become a parent just because we think that's what you're supposed to do. But then when it comes to having a relationship, we have to recognize that very often our expectations can be all over the map, especially with changes we're seeing with uh, masculinity, femininity, and, and women's rights and things of this sort. Sometimes people want to hold on to traditional values in some areas, and then modern and open-minded types of uh, values in other areas, and they might sometimes conflict. For example, a woman might expect that a man is going to pay for certain things, but that everything else is going to be equal. Now, maybe that can be okay, but you have to make sure your partner sees it that way as well. Sometimes we might be wanting to have our cake and eat it too. Or vice versa, the man might think, well, I want my wife to provide an income, we have a two-income house, income household, but I want the housework to all be her stuff, and I kind of just uh, come home and relax, and that's up to her, but she also works. Well, I don't think that's fair either. So we have to be aware of what our expectations are and where they're coming from. First and foremost, that, as I always say, you want to look at your parents' marriage, because that was your first model of what a relationship and a marriage looks like. What do you think you learned from that? Not only what did you learn, sometimes people actually learn what they don't want and almost can go to the other extreme. If they saw that their mother was controlling towards their father and now they're a a man developing to find a partner, they might be so afraid of that that they'll be almost allergic to anything from the wife that seems like input or her wanting to have influence on the husband which could be a negative thing. So we learn in, in lots of ways from what we saw in our parents. Sometimes we replicate what they had or we try to recreate it in our lives and sometimes we react completely against it. But we have to have an awareness of what we saw because that is likely gonna impact what we're willing to expect and accept. If my family had a very unhealthy and distant uh, relationship, my father and my mother, that I may be willing to accept that or I expect that that's what it's supposed to look like, unfortunately, when that might not be the case. So that's going to have a huge impact on our expectations, what we saw. And also then what else we observe from culture and the ways we were influenced. Uh, You live in a Persian household, you're going to hear lots of things about what men and women should and shouldn't do, and that's going to impact what you're going to be looking for. I think very often people who are bicultural, like myself. Uh, My family's Iranian origin, I was born and raised and lived my whole life here in the United States. There can sometimes be a confusion that we have between the values of those two cultures. In some ways, well, we grew up in a home that was Iranian because that was the family of origin, but we also grew in the context of America or wherever else you grew up. And so we saw both and were exposed to both. And there often has to be a reconciliation of what that means. Okay, do I think men are this and women are that because of how my family raised me or I saw in my family? But then also I see that in the current day and age and in the United States of America, they're more egalitarian and things are more equal. What does that mean? What am I looking for? And very often I see, especially younger Persian men who want to be open-minded and they think they're a feminist and they're very proud of that on a logical intellectual level but then when they get into a relationship they very often can be intimidated or feel uncomfortable with a woman who is strong who is intelligent who is educated maybe is more educated than them and all of a sudden they don't feel right in that type of relationship although they want to be because if you ask them they are very pro women's rights and feel that they're a feminist But all of a sudden in the relationship, we see that emotionally something is not working for them. Maybe they actually did internalize that relationship their parents had where they felt that the man is supposed to have more power or more of a say and the woman is more in the background of those types of matters but is more involved with things like the household or whatever else it might be. So we have to be aware of these types of gender role dynamics we have and maybe bring into the relationship and the expectations that we can have. And also when it comes to the expectations in general, as I mentioned in the previous segment, we have to be ready for hard times in a relationship. That yes, the relationship overall is great and wonderful and you want it, but it doesn't mean every day it feels good and that there aren't going to be some days where maybe even you wished you weren't married or with that person because it is difficult and it's stressful and life could seem easier without them or without the relationship. That That's part of being in a relationship. Now, if it's every single day or if it's more days than not, then, well, maybe it's not the right relationship. But to have that feeling, we have to accept that that's part of being in what a relationship is. Sometimes it feels good, sometimes it won't. Um, as I always say, you have to be ready to have lots of uncomfortable conversations, conversations that you'd rather not have or that don't feel very good, that's going to be part of the process. But when we come into it with this rosy idea that it's every day is wonderful and beautiful. And we never have to experience pain or discomfort because we love each other and love is this beautiful thing that is only good. Well, you're you're in for a rude awakening once you get into that relationship and marriage and see that that's not always the case. And unfortunately, if you have that expectation, when you hit that first rough patch, you might think, oh i thought this was something good but it's not i thought we had something really wonderful and this was the partner for my life but it's supposed to be easy and feel good this doesn't feel that way when you get married you have to recognize that no you're entering a journey with your partner you're going to face obstacles within the relationship and also outside that you face together there's going to be some tough times I always say that the wedding is not some finish line. It's a starting gun because this is where the real journey begins. This is when you start to go through life together and and face those ups and downs within the relationship, within yourself and with life and the things that you face together. So we have to be ready to expect that. And we also can't expect that our partner, as much as we hear it in love songs and we hear it in poems, is going to literally be our everything, our best friend, our lover, our confidant, our therapist, our financial advisor, our movie buddy, our football buddy, or whatever else it might be. Sometimes we have an unrealistic expectation of what our partner is supposed to be in our life. Yes, it's very important to have a strong friendship with your partner. We know the research of John Gottman has showed that one of the best predictors of a marriage's success is the quality of the friendship between the two partners. So I'm not in any way undermining or minimizing that. But at the same time, we sometimes have this idea that because you're my husband, because you're my wife, then you should always be able to emotionally support me exactly how I want it. Or you should have interests exactly how I want it. Well, you're my best friend, so shouldn't best friends do everything together? No, not necessarily. Uh, You should still have your own friends. You should still have your own life. You should be separate yet connected You are in a relationship but you are still separate but to expect that your partner can meet every single need every single time in every single way is unrealistic and we have to recognize that if we expect that we're very likely going to be disappointed and maybe even think we're not getting enough when maybe what we're doing is we're asking for too much we're expecting too much and we are expecting something that is unreasonable from our partner and it's something that we can't provide for our partner either. So we have to recognize that I'm not this perfect person for my partner that never lets him or her down, that never hurts them. A relationship has this give and take, but we also need to have a complete life that involves other people as well. And you see this sometimes with couples that they almost isolate themselves from the rest of the world. It becomes me and you and that's it. They only hang out together. They only do things together. He used to watch football with his friends and now they stay Sunday and watch it all day together. She used to watch whatever she liked to watch with her girlfriends, but now she watches it with him because it's all about them too now. But we know that intimacy is created not just from closeness, but also from space, distance. A little bit of space needs to be there as well. Just like a flame, the flame needs the heat, so there needs that closeness, which is the heat, but it also needs the air to breathe for that fire to stay strong and to stay alive. And sometimes we talk about the flame of passion, but we know that the play, fame, flame of passion only stays alive if we give it both the heat, but also the space. Partners are together and they spend time together and they enjoy it, and then they go and do some of their own things on their own. And when they come back to that, that actually creates more heat to keep that flame alive. So we need to find that balance between closeness and space. And we have to recognize that we have to balance Our expectations with reality, that recognizing that my partner isn't everything for me every time is realistic. And to recognize that a relationship feeling good all the time is not realistic either. It's sometimes going to feel bad. It's sometimes not going to feel very good. And we have to accept that and and embrace that and realize that that is not a sign necessarily that the relationship is wrong. It's just that the relationship is real real relationships don't feel good all the time. And as I mentioned before, make sure that what we expect from our partner is realistic and makes sense and that we're on the same page. If you want your husband to be a certain type of husband, but that's not what he wants to be, or if you want your wife to be a certain type of wife and that's not what they want to be and vice versa, you're going to be in for some trouble. And these are some of the things that you need to discuss and talk about before you make that type of a commitment all right we've reached our next commercial break studio number three one zero four four one zero five 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 you're listening to in session with dr fatty terloquy we'll be right back in session with Dr. Fadi Delaqui, studio number 3104410555. I wanted to give a thank you to um, everyone who contributed so far to the fundraising I was doing for um, the Mexico orphanage trip. I'm going on next month, at the end of next month. uh, Already I reached the goal of a $1,000. a little bit and so you can still contribute there I put the links on my social media including my Instagram so I just wanted to say thank you to everyone who made a contribution and I'm very excited to go on that trip uh, to be there for the whole weekend with the kids there at Ranchos de los los Niños um, in Mexico at the end of next month Um, and in reading this book Sapiens uh, and I'll do more of a full summary next week. Uh, about it. But looking at how history has developed and how um, we've expanded, one of the things he talks about how in any big group of human beings, bigger than, let's say, 100, 150, something like that, it's hard to maintain social order without some types of hierarchy, or that's what we've seen throughout history. So in Hammurabi's Code was written, the king, then he, there was three levels of people essentially there was the the wealthy people there was the commoners and then there were servants and then you see how differently people were treated or the laws were so different based on that or even when it comes to women's rights back then of course was or far worse that even if someone hurt a woman they would have to pay to the father or to the husband you know the woman is essentially considered property of that individual but In different places, different things became the hierarchical type of a um, rubric or way we measured it. In the United States, for example, race has been, for several hundred years, a big differentiator of who is given more rights and who isn't, with the blacks being not given rights, the African Americans, and the whites having that privilege or having those um, rights. We've seen that, and that continues to exists and has an impact. And he talks about something very important that I thought was worth mentioning. I really think the book is very fascinating. But when we look at something like race in the United States, um, for many years, of course, we had slavery in the United States. And then in 1865, essentially, slavery was abolished and no longer was slavery legal. But of course, didn't This didn't mean that all of a sudden everything was good and easy for the African-Americans in the United States, that all of a sudden things were easy for them. Not at all. They obviously were still struggling. There was in the South still a lot of resentment about the ending of slavery. They didn't want it to be this way. But even still, they didn't have the same opportunities as everyone else. Of course, if an African-American then went for a job interview, they still didn't have as good of a chance as someone who was. American, or, or sorry, white American um, had. And this continues the stereotype that stereotypes that exist, unfortunately, in a very bad way. So there were stereotypes that, for example, the blacks were going to be negative in some ways. They were essentially more lazy. They were more likely to do bad things, more violent, more aggressive. These were the stereotypes they held back then, which were very pervasive. And unfortunately, they still exist today. But then what happens is when you now say, okay, well, now these people have the same rights as everyone else, but then because they aren't given the same opportunities, because when they go to a job interview, they are less likely to get it than someone else, then what it allows for people to do is to say, see, now they have the same rights, but they still don't do as well as other people. Not recognizing that it's in fact that very discrimination that's not allowing them to succeed. We don't see that it's a self-fulfilling prophecy or it's a cir- circular type of a argument or a impact that it's having. So we say, because we don't think of them as good as us, we're not going to give them their jobs. And then we say, look, see, they have opportunities that they don't give jobs. This is proof that they aren't as good as we are. So not recognizing the impact that these um, stereotypes, these prejudices that we have are are having on certain individuals is very harmful and unfortunately continues to reinforce those very racist stereotypes that we have. So to live in the United States today and to not recognize that we don't have equal rights for all people, we have equal rights on paper for all people, but to think that we have equal rights for everyone uh, is to me someone who is not at all aware of or facing the reality of what we experience or people experience in the United States. Even when it comes to gender, we know that we have equal rights on paper, but there's still a gender gap as far as pay goes. So even there, we don't have it. But then when we look at, for example, the African-American community, still there is so much racism that is so pervasive and even on a systematic level that to really look at all the facts and not see it means that we don't want to see it. We tend to want things to be fair or to believe that they are fair. We could even, there's even a psychological term, a need for a just world. Uh, This is actually also partially why we blame victims at times. If something bad happens to someone, rather than thinking, well, bad things can happen to good people or it can even happen to me, it's much easier for us to blame the victim. Well, she was dressed a certain way, so maybe that's why that happened to her. Or he did this or that, so maybe he deserved that consequence. It wasn't just something unfair. And especially now we think, okay, in history, yes, many people were unfair to lots of groups of people, but we are so advanced and modern and open-minded and aware of all these things. And now we are a very just society and everyone has it equal. So if someone is not succeeding, it's their own fault. They're not working hard enough or um, they're not trying hard enough or they are by their nature, not as good as other people, but this this is not the case. We know that there is explicit racism that still exists, and a lot of implicit racism that is existing. Not only that, another area where we see huge discrimination in the United States is between the wealthy and the poor, and there is this belief, um, partially from capitalism, but also just a very self-serving one. That the wealthy are wealthy because they worked harder and the poor are poor because they have less abilities and they work less hard and and this is not true we know that wealth begets wealth and poverty begets poverty it's very easy or a lot easier i should say for someone wealthy or born into a wealthy family to become wealthy or continue that legacy of wealth and it's much more difficult from someone who's born into poverty to come out of poverty to make their way out of it not because they're lazier they're somehow worse but because things are harder for them and they aren't given the same opportunities but it's a very very self-serving thing to think i'm just wealthy because i worked harder and if i look at someone who's poor again this just world's feeling well they must have done something less to be there and i've done more to earn what i have And people very often, you know, they love the rags to riches stories. And I think they are very inspiring to hear them. But then sometimes people use that as evidence that there isn't anything holding people back. Well, if I know this poor guy, and now he's very wealthy, that means every poor person can make it. That's not what that means. Equal opportunity means that everyone has the same chance to make it. It doesn't mean that it's impossible for someone to make it. We're saying make it fair. That's like saying, hey, we're going to run a race tomorrow. And everyone who is from a certain country is going to have to wear 40-pound shoes. And then we're going to race. And then, yes, there might be this person who is so incredibly in shape and strong that although wearing those 40-pound shoes, he wins the race one time. You say, see? we well, can't say those 40-pound shoes are holding yourselves back. Look at this guy. He made it. So that excuse is bogus. I'm not going to buy it anymore. No, that doesn't mean things are fair. That means that despite things being unfair... Sometimes someone can overcome those obstacles and that unfairness. So we can't use that example. I've heard people say, oh, well, look at Oprah. She's made it and she's African-American. So don't tell me things are harder for African-Americans. Yes, there's going to be a few Oprahs and Obamas and other people that can make it despite the challenges and things holding them back. But that doesn't mean that things are fair as a result. We can't take that as meaning that we throw everything else out because there are a few exceptions. When you consider how many more people of other, for example, of the white race or how many more men can make it compared to women in different things, that tells us something is unfair. And of course, a lot of these issues, especially in the United States, are conflated in the sense that we have um, a lot more poverty in areas that have People that are from minorities, especially the African-Americans and the Latino community. So these things get conflated and become even more complicated and intertwined. But we see that, for example, there are a lot of African-Americans living in poor neighborhoods who also don't get as many opportunities, don't get the education they deserve and are faced with a lot of challenges. And it becomes very easy to then couple those things together. Every Thursday, I go to Skid Row and I see incredible, and I say incredible in that it's shockingly sad, the poverty that you see. Just in the, about a block or so, I walk from where I park my car to go in, you see just very sad sights, things that really, when I look at them, I think no person should be living in this type of condition. You know, they're on the street and you can tell they're sometimes mentally very ill, physically not in good shape very likely having a hard time having food and water, especially when it's been hot. And you're, you know, I just imagine, oh, I can't wait to get in my car and sit in my air conditioning. Then I walk there and I think these people are sitting on the hot pavement and they can't go anywhere. They have nowhere to go. And they also don't likely have lots of clean water to drink. And this is how people are living. And it's very easy to think, well... These people chose it for themselves or they're lazier or they are bad people or they're just druggies or whatever else we like to tell ourselves to convince ourselves that this is somehow okay. But to me, this is unacceptable that we let humans and people, our brothers and sisters, live in this type of condition. And you're telling me that that person has an equal chance to make it? Okay, and let's say you think that person chose to get there, which I don't agree with. People don't become poor just from being lazier or making bad choices. It's much more complicated than that. But what do you say to the children who are born into that? I go and tutor these kids at the Skid Row Learning Center, part of School on Wheels, and these kids are born into homelessness. I hope you don't think in any way they have um, some responsibility for being homeless, that you recognize them as an innocent victim of what's going on. And we know that children who are homeless don't get to take advantage of the educational system the way that kids who are from more affluent communities do, from things such as the instability of their housing environments, not getting the supports and resources they need, even the schools not being as good in poorer neighborhoods, amongst other things, and the various challenges that they face, And that's why we need organizations like School on Wheels to try to bridge some of that gap and to give them um, some more support and resources to help them take more advantage of the educational system so that maybe they can uh, get themselves out of this cycle of poverty and homelessness because it is challenging. I would hope very often when I hear about charity organizations, I think they're great, and I love School on Wheels, and it's been a great experience for me that I've gotten so much out of it. I'm so happy they do the work that they do. But sometimes it makes me think, well, why don't, why do we have to have things like organizations taking care of this? Why are we not as a society doing more? Just like that story I shared a couple weeks ago of that very kind police officer who found that a, I forgot, 11 or 12-year-old girl was shoplifting, and instead of writing her up or giving, making her have a record, she went to their home and saw how poor they were and decided to give some of his own money to buy them food and then other people donated. And it's a beautiful story. I think it's very touching, but it also breaks my heart that we need people to volunteer to do these things that we as a society don't take care of them. So, you know, reading this book, Sapiens, and seeing how he looks at it throughout history and this idea of hierarchy and some very often Many people suffering so that some people get to enjoy the spoils, get to enjoy the goodness of what happens. People work hard on the fields all day and then there's a few elite who enjoy that. And this is something we see throughout history and also in various societies. But it's something that I would hope we try to fight against or to try to change. And not just accept this, that this is the way it has to be because it always has been. It doesn't have to be that way, actually. If we look at our ancestors, of course, in the hunter-gatherer societies before that, there wasn't a lot of hierarchy. There wasn't much difference between people. They were essentially given the same amount of things and had the same amount of rights, and there wasn't such a strong discrepancy of the elite and the servants or the very, very rich and the poor who are suffering. It's not something we have to have especially now when we can provide for everyone. But it's something that in a way is an artifact of how things have been that we continue. But I think it's important for us to open our eyes to see the ways that these things are perpetuated, that poverty creates more poverty, wealth creates more wealth, and that it doesn't have to be that way. This is just how things were. No one needs to be dying on the street when someone else has such an excess of things that they don't even need. You know, you see videos of people with so much wealth and they're posting it on Instagram and Facebook and showing off and we like to look at them and see that this Saudi prince has 18 Rolls Royces that he's never even driven before, but just has them, you know, in a garage and it seems nice, but at the same time, someone else is dying because they don't have enough to eat or they don't have the medication they need to survive even though we have the medication. I'll never really be able to understand that and think we can say that's fair. If someone wants to try to explain that to me, please, you can call in and do that or write me a message. Let me know how you think that that's fair, but I don't think there's any way to really explain that. And so we have to be aware of the ways we might even contribute to this with the ideas we have to accept that, well, some people are poor because they're lazy or because they're this or they're that, or they didn't study hard in school. I hear parents say that sometimes to their kids. Study hard or else you might become homeless. Um, It's not really that that's not really the way it works. It's a lot more complicated than that. But we have to accept that we are in some way contributing to this with the things that we ex- accept and the mindset mindsets that we perpetuate about these things, many of which are myths, and to accept that we do have to care about one another. We should care about one another and not just neglect or ignore the things that are going on so i'm enjoying this book sapiens i hope you'll join me in reading it um next week i'll do a more thorough summary of it but those those are some thoughts and ideas that i had based on the reading that i've done so far let's go to another commercial break studio number 310 you're listening to in session with dr Fadi alakwi back studio number three one zero four four one zero five 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 let's go to a caller radio Hamra, you're on the air yes hi thanks for calling
2: sure dr freddy i have a question for you sure and that is uh you know i'm sure you're aware of the uh, some of our culture iranian cultural whatever mm-hmm. you want to call it that um we have some Prejudices yes. against uh, uh, African Americans, against Arabs, against etc. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, and,
1: it's etc. Yeah, I agree with what you're saying, and unfortunately, it's etc. Because it doesn't just stop there. But I, I definitely agree. Yeah, go ahead.
2: Yeah, etc. As in different religions, mm-hmm. etc. And uh, but I was wondering if you can expand on on the idea that. How is it that, say, Iranian woman or man or child can coexist or even live with or hang out with, uh, say, African American uh, man or woman or or in their school?
1: How can they coexist?
2: Yeah, can, can they? Yeah. Why is it? Because there is there is an idea that it's preferential. To uh, marry a white American rather than a black American, or it is preferential to uh, send your kids to a school that is mostly white than than black or Hispanic, or etc.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Why should we not follow that?
1: Okay. Well, why
2: should we? Why should we be uh, open and believe that humans are all humans and
1: Okay. Well, I, and I, I appreciate your openness because, you know, a lot of people might not say it as openly as you did. And unfortunately, I do agree with you that many Iranians do hold those mindsets and those ideas that you you, you just mentioned, that especially when it comes to the Af- African-Americans and even Hispanic community, when you live in somewhere in Los Angeles where you see a lot of both, you do see very strong judgments. And you mentioned yourself even, it's doesn't, not limited there to Arabs and to other groups as well. Um, So to begin with, one thing I think is worth acknowledging is that all of us have at some level racist ideas or values. We might not realize them, but at, at some level we might have them. There's definitely differences in degrees, but everyone has that. And I acknowledge I'm going to as a human being have those as well. But we have to look at the bigger picture of what's going on, because to me, I actually get very... Upset and frustrated when I see how much racism I see in our community, in the Iranian community. Uh, it's really staggering when you think about that. Uh, and even when you think many Iranians had to leave Iran because of prejudice or discrimination, that they were persecuted even, but might still hold that be- discriminatory belief about other people, is something that I think people should think about, that they wouldn't uh, accept uh, that. Yes. If
2: I, if I can interrupt you for sure. a second. Also, a lot of us aren't even aware that there are a lot of prejudice against ourselves Of course.
1: Absolutely.
2: By, by the Americans, especially the white Americans. Great they point. don't really look at us as par with what they are, and we just ignore that and pretend like we are better than the well, African-Americans mm-hmm. and Mexicans. We're, not, we're white.
1: I think that that's actually such a good point and maybe something that can give... All of us, we think about some perspective. Yeah, Iranians that came here, and even still, you know, you can get prejudice against you for lots of reasons. You know, you hear lots of Iranians. They still say, "Oh, they did." You know, they didn't. They didn't accept us because we were Persian, or even explicitly, they've had racism against them, being called names, "Go home, terrorists." Do this, do that, whatever it is that we get, and yet, we obviously don't think of ourselves as less than anyone else. Sometimes we might even think of ourselves as better than. But nonetheless. Think about how that person who's yelling to you, go home terrorist, in their mind, they see you as less than. They really believe it. They think we're not as good as them. They think we're uh, evil. They think we're vicious, that we're aggressive, that we just want to kill people. Whatever it is they think, that's really what they think. In other
2: words, they think of us the same thing as we think of after
1: Exactly. So that's what I was going to say. So the way we think, because we know that they're wrong when they think that. We're not bad people. I really don't think any group of people is bad people, but we know we're not less than them in any way. I don't want to say we're better than them because I don't think that either, but we're definitely not less than them. And so the same ideas we hold about other groups, as much much as in our minds, they seem like truths. That's the thing about the human mind. When we believe something, we don't think of it as just an opinion or belief. It seems like a truth. So in this case, it's somehow that African-Americans are whatever it is, fill in the blank, less than, and we should think less of them. I would hope that people who are listening recognize that is exactly the same thing as when someone thinks we're less than some other group exactly the same thing i'm sure someone listening thinks no 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 but when we do it we're right when they think less of us they're wrong no it's the same thing when you think less of another group it is because of some belief you have not based on some kind of truth that they're less than and i would hope and I think, you know, Iranians, we in our culture, we're so big on things like status and title and the way things look, and we can be very prejudiced actually as a as a culture in general. Even when it comes to things like being poor, we're so judgmental about being poor and people go through great lengths to make sure no one thinks that they're not poor or that they're very rich. We care too much about these uh, types of things and then it carries over in other ways. We're very judgmental about everything race included It's like a status symbol or it's a way of labeling people We're not a very it's not a very open-minded culture the Iranian culture Unfortunately or the way we have been and we, we definitely take that into things like, you know race Absolutely, so I just want to remind you when you have a racist thought about another group Imagine someone calling you a terrorist and telling you to go home and how true you think their statement is, and how right they are to believe that and think that, and think I'm being just as stupid when I think that about other people, about another group. Now, your question of like how can we coexist, I would say very easily. Now, of course, when we're from different cultures, whatever it might be, an Iranian coming to America has a challenge of trying to fit in culturally. So I'm not saying there's no challenges when we have different cultures but just as an iranian can come here and assimilate and acculturate um, to america they also can go to another country and do that or meeting different groups of people we can do that as well yes sometimes you might have different preferences maybe it it takes a little bit longer to get along with someone or to to recognize if you have as much in common to build a friendship but i don't think um it's something insurmountable that we can't do to have friends of any type of race or background, whatever it might be. You know, many years ago, if we think about the caste system uh, in India, they'll think, for example, people from this group and that group, they shouldn't even look at each other or talk to each other be friends with each other? Are you crazy? When we know, we can look at that and think that's pretty silly. That's pretty... If you ask me, I I know you want to respect their culture, but there isn't really a basis to it other than this myth that they've created, a shared myth that actually um, you've all know a Harari talks about in this book sapiens a shared myth right that right, right, there are okay. people from certain groups even they have people they call untouchables it's so heartbreaking that you aren't even supposed they just have to basically scavenge and try to survive their life right. because no one will even look at them touch them marry them anything so right. when we you know it's good to sometimes take the perspective look at someone else and then see how you might be making that same mistake okay. so Dr. to me Tra- yes go ahead
2: if I can interrupt you again. Can you explain how is it, how would being prejudiced uh, how would it hurt us?
1: How does it hurt us?
2: How would it hurt us? How would what is the what is wrong with an Iranian to think uh, I'm better than African Americans or African Americans are not good enough? How does it hurt me? Do we see? Millions of white Europeans and Americans, etc., and people rather old maybe, uh, are living with that—the same mm-hmm. thought, the same belief—and to, to, you know, there's actually a lot of benefits to that because they go around the world and and say that they are superior and they extract all kinds of uh, benefits for themselves. So why should I give up that belief?
1: Okay, that's a that's an interesting question. Um, so, you know, there's also, there's an individual level and then their larger level as well on the larger level. When we have this type of mindset, it creates the conflict that we continue to see about the races, even worse at different times, but it creates conflict and strife when we have, I do, I do agree with the sociological model of seeing, uh, society as a human body when it's suffering anywhere, it affects all affects the whole body. So you might think it's not affecting you, but it does. And we see that in history where there's violence and there's things that are going on. You know, I always like to say um, people who are very wealthy, yeah, they think, well, the setup is so good for me. They like how things are. But then if one day they're, let's say, in downtown LA and they make a few wrong turns and they end up in a really bad neighborhood, and all of a sudden now they feel a threat that someone might rob them or hurt them um, because they don't have money, because they don't have the things they need, well, all of a sudden they might think, gee, I wish we took better care of these people here so right now I wouldn't be in danger. All of a sudden they will care because they realize they're in danger because some people have been deprived and it isn't fair. But now these people that are deprived see you who has been given enough and even too much, and now they might actually hurt you in some way. All of a sudden, they will care and think, hey, gosh, why don't we take care of these people? I wish they weren't poor so they wouldn't need or want some of what I have. So it does affect us. And that's, I know, sounds like an extreme example, but these things happen on a larger scale um, as well. Now, coming to the individual, if you ask me, first of all, when we have this type of judgmental mindset in, about people, it also means we're to somehow have it about ourselves too. So when we're more judgmental about groups and about things, also is going to carry over into how we're going to view ourselves and we're going to react. Overall, openness is going to do us far better than judgmentalness. To think all this is bad, all that is bad, all of this group of people is this way, is going to hurt us in the long run. Now, thinking that we are superior to other people also hurts us because it's not realistic. And that also shows that if I think I'm superior to some group, there's someone else or somewhere else where I'm gonna think I'm inferior. So that mindset is also a very uh, hurtful one in the long run. Yes, when I look at someone else, say, ha, I can look down at you because I'm so much better than you. That moment feels good, although I don't think of it as a genuine good, but it might feel nice to inflate our ego in that moment, but it's also reflective of the mindset that somewhere else I'm gonna see myself as less than. And because of that, I'm actually gonna be hurt in the long run. Just like when we talk about gratefulness, we say, don't say I compare myself to other people who have less than me and I feel good. Think about what you actually have yourself that you enjoy. Because when you open up that comparison mindset, it's going to hurt you in the long run. Yes, here you might be the victor, but somewhere else you might be the person who is being hurt. And at the end of the day, you can believe whatever you want to believe. But also, I feel that when you close off yourself to people in the world, to groups in the world, to things in the world, you pay the price. When you assume that African-Americans, for example, are less than or not good, you're going to pay the price with people that you might be able to interact with and enjoy. Or with things that their culture might be able to actually give to you. I think there is goodness in every culture. And with the world becoming smaller, so to speak, and having the exposure to different cultures, you actually can gain so much by learning about different cultures and learning from them. But if you assume that a whole group is bad or something about them is wrong, you're paying the price because you're being deprived of the beauty of those people and the beauty of their culture and of what they have. And that's going to also pay, you're going to pay the price. So is it going to hurt you in some horrible way that I could say, oh my gosh, your life is just going to be miserable? No, I can't say that. But I definitely think it's going to hurt you in, to me, some significant ways. One of depriving you of of certain individuals that could contribute a lot to their culture, to their uh, ideas, to their knowledge and whatever else they might have. But then also that carrying that judgmental mindset with us is going to hurt us, even within ourselves and within our families. When we have this, this is good, this is bad. If you do this, you're a better person. If you do this, you're a horrible person. That mindset is hurting us on a daily basis, not just in the ways we interact with different groups. So being more accepting of people and being more connected to the world as a whole is also something that you miss out on when you judge certain people. Seeing that we're all one family and that I can connect with everyone and I'm connected to this whole world, that does you a lot of benefit. I can't tell you, you're going life has to be miserable without it. But if you ask me, it's definitely the the better way to go. That's
2: right. And I also wanted to uh, bring up a couple more things. It's as you adequately... The utility of being fair and non-judgmental. There's also something to say about the shared humanity mm-hmm. and the loss of humanity, Absolutely. and the loss of the, the morality of of fairness. Yeah. Every time that every time that we exclude somebody from or some group from because of their race and color and etc., we take down, we reduce that our are, are, are base or yeah. are, our cachet of morality and humanity that much. we yeah. become going to become more, that much more cruel and unjust.
1: Mm-hmm. I, I completely and, agree.
2: And the other thing is that um, when, on an individual level, when we think of, oh, I'm not going to marry this guy or send my kids to that's cool because uh, there are so many African-Americans there or Latinos there, et cetera. That might be uh, beneficial to you at the the moment, but the fact is, think about the society at large, the largest society that does exactly the same thing to you. Mm -hmm. The largest society takes that acceptance of that prejudice, and says, okay, we'll just have a law now mm-hmm. that uh, schools can exclude kids that are of a different race, just basically take us back to the 20s in yeah. the United States. Uh, uh, so we, People don't think that their individual decisions are so critical because the more individuals take that kind of decision, make that kind of decision to be prejudicial, yeah, they give the whoever makes the laws that much more permission to spread that throughout the society with their laws and
1: stuff. Exactly. So I think as a overall it's just unfair and unjust to be that way in a society. We pay the price. But you know, you never know when you're the group that then gets chosen next to be excluded. I think when we saw the travel ban being, you know, talked about and being uh, a big issue here in the united states all of a sudden people did care about discrimination in the iranian community because we were being discriminated against but when we weren't we seem to not care not recognizing it's the same thing so as a society i think we pay the price by lacking that open-mindedness by the the hurt it creates when we exclude people we judge people we hold people down we always pay the price just like men have paid the price by not giving women rights throughout history all of humanity has paid a price. And any group that gets discriminated against, we all pay the price and we have to recognize that and always move towards uh, equal rights no matter what the group is. I've mentioned this before w- with each new type of thing that comes along. For example, women's rights. Should women have the same rights? Okay, I guess they should. Should gays have the same rights? I'm not sure. Should transgender? We're still talking about it. Everyone should get equal rights. It's, not, it's called human rights for a reason. Every human being deserves them and every human being deserves them equally. And we don't need to think about, well, does this group deserve it or not? If they're human, they deserve it. Let's not get into a conversation or discussion. We don't have to even think about it. But especially when it comes back to race that you brought up, I would hope really people listening, first of all, look at themselves and recognize, okay, as a human being, I do hold some racist beliefs and ideas. We know that that's the case, but also it's looking at how strong they are and what I want to do about that because we can do something about it by trying to recognize and challenge those ideas we have and also by even interacting with members from a group we hold that prejudice about because a big part of racism and prejudice is a dehumanization, seeing them as somehow less than. But anytime you connect with any other human being, you see them as human. You see their humanness and that idea will slowly start to melt away. And I would hope everyone sees it as that case. And when they have a racist thought, rather than trying to justify it and thinking, No, I'm right to think this, recognize that I'm wrong and recognize that I've been the victim of racism, probably myself. And what do I think of that person when they thought that way about me? Well, I'm doing the same thing myself right now. You know, I got That's to right. go to the commercial break, but I do appreciate you calling and bringing up these issues. All right. Thank you. Thank you so much. Have a great right. day. Bye bye. All right, we've reached our next commercial break. You're listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Deloqui. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Let's go to another caller. Radio Hamra, you're on the air.
2: Hi, how are
1: you? I'm good, thanks. How are you? That, no, that's fine. You're, you're, you're. I don't know if we're on speaker because the the sounds coming in a little bit clear, unclear. All
2: right. What? Oh, it's not, okay. Let me
0: change this. So, uh, my my question uh, from you is, uh, hold on. Sure. Okay. Oh. My question
1: to you is, uh, hello.
2: Can you hear me?
0: Now? Yes,
1: yes.
2: Oh
0: okay The prejudice comes with the attitude. Um, I live in this country for 50 years. Mm-hmm. and I never felt uh, I've been down in any way for my shape, except a few times, which I think they were ignorant. But at the end of the day, it was my attitude. I came from Iran, and I try to blend in with their country. This is American country which I try to join them. Mm-hmm. And for me to join them, join them, I have to respect their area so they can have me, just like if I want to go to somebody's home, uh, if I want to use the bathroom, some I say, may I use your bathroom?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So until we blend in, we speak the language, we try to understand them and learn and teach them about our culture. But when we come here, uh, we become groups. Persian groups, um, Korean groups, uh, American, um, black groups, and then we get divided, automatically the difference comes up, and then people, they see each other differently. And uh, if the black doesn't say, I'm black, I promise you I don't notice their color. I... I see them as human.
1: Okay. I mean, so, I, we have to be careful. There's something we talk about, like a post-racial era, that people like to say they don't see race anymore. I usually don't agree with that. My guess is you do see it. I'm not saying you treat someone differently, but I think to say you don't see it, I'm not sure if I agree. Just like if you told me I, don't, I can't tell if the person's a man or a woman, I wouldn't believe you.
2: Okay.
0: Now, I respect that. Now, since we have the difference, for example, um, of, I just want you to give me more information. But okay. like when they talk about travel vans, uh-huh. I feel like that's a security for me. And it doesn't hurt anybody for three months to be more uh, checked before they come in. And that doesn't make me look like because I'm Iranian or I was born in Iran, now I'm being treated differently. What I think about me and my children are more safe here than somebody wants to come in from any country. I don't care where. It's not a matter of Iran, anywhere. So that's the way I see it. Mm -hmm. Uh, do you agree with me or disagree? Well, I think it's,
1: I think it's complicated because okay, for, also I want to comment, you know, you said people come to this country and they kind of go to their own groups and that in a way it's like you're saying that was not a good thing. I think it's you know, people come to a new country, they're going to miss their old country and they also having that sense of community is important. I don't know if it's necessarily that if because people join an Iranian community, Korean community, as you said, different communities, that has to be a bad thing. I think you can have both, where people maintain their sense of community, and it's okay. Just like people can go to church on a Sunday, and it doesn't mean that has to lead to division in a negative way, that it has to lead to conflict. But, you know, coming No, to your... I, I totally
0: agree with you, yeah. and that's, that's what I'm saying. I said before I want to introduce my culture, I think I should learn their culture because I'm new. And if I learn their language, if I learn their behavior, then I can actually, in a better way, introduce my culture so they can understand and respect me as who I am, where I come from. But if I don't respect them, how should I I expect them to respect me just because of this country gives so much to everyone and say this is a free country, so we take advantage of it. That's what I'm saying. But
1: what do you mean by take advantage or not respecting it?
0: The take advantage means this. This is a freedom of speech. So I can do anything I want. I can speak this language, and so what. But if we go to Iran, we see we don't have any of these things. Uh, take advantage of uh, the whole system, in my opinion. I am here. I don't have any difficulty. I deal with, I own a business. I deal with every different type of people. And I never, ever see them or judge them way. And I do agree with you, we do have we do have some kind of a prejudice with with Mm ourselves but I think we more and more when we focus and we bring it up more and more when we uh, always say uh, certain things then the other person will notice it Um, if we don't we just as a human to another human I think we can communicate better we can uh, share better Uh, I take my American friends to Iranian restaurant and I explain to them what is and what's not in their language. If I don't learn the language, how can I and Iranian are very smart people. They're educated, smart. I'm so proud of them. Uh, which we are the culture, we are multilingual and we learn and we cope with America. But what I'm talking about in general, majority of people don't. I don't when I see a black man or a black woman. I see a human, mm-hmm. but unless they don't specify it, I am African and I'm black and this and that, then suddenly it goes to my brain, wait a minute, okay, I see different way of thinking. Okay, if they don't bring it up, I don't notice it. That's what I'm saying, and i okay. I love to hear your opinion.
3: Well,
1: I, I, but I, the idea I'm getting from you is that if we don't bring up race, somehow these issues are going to disappear, and I don't think that's true. Because no, I
3: think they can blend in
0: better, not disappear. Mm. If nothing ever disappear.
1: No, but what, it almost sounds better. like you're... I mean, I, I know there's a school of thought that people talking about race are creating more racism. Um, and I don't I think... I
0: have a question. Yes. Call me, uh, Kobe the basketball, yes. basketball player. Yes, Everybody right. loves him. Okay. Everybody loves him. I bet through my
1: life nobody see his color. I think everyone does. Absolutely. Without a shadow of a doubt. Even when he had his rape case, the issue of race was involved too, because the girl was not was white. So I, Actually, I don't. Actually, my I,
0: husband is the attorney, and he's the one he he helped him, Okay, uh, and I know that. that
1: but, so I'm uh, saying I don't. I think everyone can really, you know, even look at LeBron James during the NBA finals. Right before the first game, they someone wrote to his home, and they put the N word on his. Uh, house with spray paint i mean so although people love lebron james and respect him as a basketball player and want will pay money to go watch him play it doesn't mean that his race disappears at all um you don't
0: think media had anything to do with the race to be more noticeable
1: uh, i think media plays media of course reflects um society but and also can play a part but i think race is a very real thing before the media was talking about it it was huge and it's still there so i think we have to actually be willing to talk about race that's why i i I see where you're coming from but for me rather than let's just not talk about it pretend like it's not there we have to have these uncomfortable conversations about race that it's very real that things are still not fair in this country i don't think that at all and we have to talk about it Um, and so to avoid it i think actually it allows for the problems to perpetuate and continue and people saying they're facing discrimination, I think we have to at least hear them. Even if you don't agree with them, we have to listen to what they're saying because it's a very real issue. And to me, we have to be careful about the idea of not seeing race. Because this post-racial America, people say, well, Obama's president, so that means there's no more racism. That's not how these things work. Yes, Obama was president, but people were saying things like, you know, horrible things about him because of his race, even though he was president. It doesn't mean that racism has disappeared. It's a very real thing. The African-American community still faces many more challenges than the non-African-American community. There are lots of statistics that can support that, including the fact that uh, the drug use between whites and blacks is about equal, but there are about nine times as many African-Americans in jail for drug-related issues than than there are whites. There's something more to it than just to say uh, it's in their heads or it's because people talk about it as an issue. Systematically, things are going on that I think we can't ignore. It's uncomfortable. It doesn't feel good to have this going on. But I think we have to be aware of this and recognize that the prejudice that they are into, and maybe for you to integrate yourself into this culture has been easy, and that's wonderful. But I don't think it's fair to say that if someone else is having a challenge that they are to blame, that it's only their fault.
0: You know, it, actually, it wasn't easy. I I'm had sure a lot of time, time and effort to it. I <laughs> learned it. I had to learn it. I had to taste their food and see if I like it or not. Or I, I remember how quiet I was because I couldn't pronounce certain words, and I thought people would laugh at me uh, if I say it. It wasn't as easy, but because I wanted to live in this uh, land, a country, however you want to put it. Uh, I thought there is a challenge, but I I wanted to face the challenge. Mm -hmm. I wanted to do it and not to escape it. And uh, like I said, I I do see what you see, very much so. Mm -hmm. I see people in the street. I see people who do need help. And uh, absolutely, if we can help, we should help them. But in the other way is, I think we should look at people in a different way, and our attitude and our behavior makes a lot of difference in our community uh, uh, from home to outside.
2: Mm-hmm. But
0: I want to go to another issue quickly, okay. and that is about marriage. I was fascinated with the thing you were saying. Uh, I'd love to hear you now from now on. This was the first time I was listening to you, and uh, about long-distance marriage. So uh-huh. I happen to know someone, uh, they, they got married uh, because of uh, some kind of difficulty, the person was extended uh, uh, more time to stay in the country, and uh, from Canada, and now because of immigration issue, uh, he has to stay and go through the process, and they are married. But during the year of marriage, they have a lot of issues, uh, and they see the difference. Uh-huh. For example, the girl think uh, he should send a ticket for her to go see him and he feel like if I send you a ticket to come and see me after a week or so, you have to leave and it's more painful. So what do you think?
1: Well, Well, how about this? Because we're at a commercial break and we'll talk about, you know, long distance relationship and marriage also after the break. So just hang on the line and we'll we'll talk after the break. Okay. Uh Thank you. All right. Thank you. You're listening to In Session with Dr. Fatty We'll be right back. Uh, We actually lost the caller before the break, so we'll go to another caller. Hello, Radio Hamra, you're on the air. Hello? 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 Yes, hi, you're on the air. Hello? Can you hear me? You are on the air. Maybe not. Okay, we'll put you back on hold. Maybe, maybe she'll uh, come on, Ramon, will talk to her, see if we can get her back on. You know, but before the break, um, we did, uh, the caller that did call in um, brought up some important points that I did want to talk about and something I did mention about this idea of living in a post-racial America. Uh, some people, sometimes we equate that if we're not racist, that means we don't see race, just like if I believe in equality of men and women, I, that means I don't see man or woman, but we still see them and we have to make sure we don't ignore the issues and face them. I know she agreed with me on that point, that we have to recognize that we have to talk about these things, even though they're very uncomfortable. People don't like talking about race and racism, maybe afraid to say the wrong things, say it in the wrong way, or to bring up these issues that make us feel uncomfortable that maybe we live in an unfair society that there's these things going on but i hope we continue discussions one of the reasons i want to have the discussions on the air but that we continue them because the only way we'll overcome something like this is not to ignore it and hope that it goes away or pretend that we don't see it anymore but that we have to talk about it and face it head on but it looks like we do have the caller back let's see if we can get her on the air hi radio hammer you're on the air
3: Hi, Dr. Farid Halakwe. Thank you so much for taking my call. My your pleasure.
1: Time. Thanks for calling. Um,
3: thank you. And uh, I, My question is about my 15-year-old. Um, I think uh, probably she had this issue long back, but you never recognized since she was in elementary school. Um, always the teacher, they were talking that she's not consistent in answering the questions. Uh, she was mostly, when she was reading the book, she was paying more attention to the details and instead of getting to the point, um, so she couldn't answer the the comprehension questions very directly. And, um, but she still was a good student. She was an honor student when she was in middle school, but now she's in, um, uh, high school and first year, she's freshman, and basically um, she got a lot of C's and D's, and that was so surprising. Mm-hmm. Um, one one thing that I've noticed um, that the, the last day of school, the consultant contacted us, and uh, he said uh, she's very lonely. She she usually. Uh, sits by the teachers to eat during the lunchtime. Mm -hmm. She's super, super shy when she's around teenagers. And uh, she's a little bit overweight, so I don't know if that's the case or anything else. But I put her in like a volleyball class. She she told me I will do anything, but I don't want to go to that volleyball class, which is filled with teenagers. And um, so basically she's afraid of uh, teenagers. Um, Has she told you that? Uh, She, yeah, I I can see it. I can totally see it. She she totally wants to refuse any get if there is a teenager there. Okay. Uh, She has a couple of friends, though, but um, I thought when I went to the history of her learning, I thought maybe she has ADD or ADHD, and um, maybe she has concentration issues. Um, So I took her, and um, she didn't have enough sleep. She she spends. I can tell you, she spends like she can spend twenty four hours on her phone. She has a blog, and I'm not sure that who is she talking to over the phone, but she's hiding basically herself uh, behind the phone and computer screens. And um, okay, no now stuff. let me ask
1: you a few questions. When she was younger, how was she socially?
3: Uh, she was good, but when the elementary school that she was in, there was multiple um, incidents. When she was in kindergarten, uh, she started talking when she was, uh, I think she was three years old. She was she started talking very late, and when she was in elementary in kindergarten. Um, a boy started laughing at her, and uh, you know they had they were doing some kind of i don't know um stuff and she had like those scissors that is around that is not actually dangerous she she hit that guy with a scissor on her hand on his hand and um she was how old then she was five
1: okay that's not i'm not too concerned about that okay but socially was she able to interact because i'm, I'm wondering are you seeing a big change in how she is socially was she able to get along with Kids her age, and now she doesn't. Or was she always having a hard time with kids her age? She was.
3: She was always like that. She always first find a lot of friends, and then she lose all of them. So I don't know what she's doing. But first, she, whenever she starts in a school or something, she has lots of friends. She starts going out and making, you know, plans, all this stuff. And after a while, she lose every single one of them. During elementary school, she was invited only to one birthday um so all uh, the years
1: you mean all the years together
3: all the years in elementary school which you know usually they get the kids invite each other a lot um and she was only invited one time for a sleepover
1: does she get along better with adults than with kids her age
3: uh, she 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 is very shy, but she's totally fine with the family and most adults also. But when when it comes to the kids her age, she is she she wants to disappear. She she doesn't want mm-hmm. even to get involved with them.
1: Well, you know, especially
3: I'm, if there are new people.
1: Yeah, I know you're worried about the ADHD, and it's possible, though maybe it would have showed up in different ways. I'm worried more about depression and also like a social anxiety. And how she sees herself seems really, uh, her her view of herself seems very low, and that's mm-hmm. my yes. my concern. Does she have any brothers or sisters?
3: She does have a sister that is ten years older than her, so there was a big
1: that's a very big gap. Yeah. Average. Okay, so yes, in a lot of ways, she was yeah. an only child. Um, yes. For the most part. Um, they okay. get
3: along very well though. She, uh, the big sister always uh, coming to our house and they spend a lot of time and she, um, my 15 year old adore her so
1: Okay. Well, that, that's good. They have that relationship, but you know she grew up kind of alone. When you see her socially, does she seem like she has a hard time communicating, interacting? Is she a little bit awkward or off socially?
3: yes she is awkward she has some kind of interest that no other kids they have it and when i was talking when she was in elementary school to the psychologist yeah. she was in pokemon which was, which was like 10 years old yeah. and she was in pokemon and the psychologist was telling me that these kids they don't have the same interest so it still is the same still she is in Japanese cartoons or anime or something that no one else understands. Uh-huh. So she cannot; she doesn't have the same interests as other kids.
1: Well, you know, through those interests, thankfully, with the internet, she can find people who have similar interests and hopefully connect. But I'm wondering if there's, you know, some something on the autism spectrum, like an Asperger-like uh, issue that she's dealing with, where socially maybe she just doesn't have the skills and the abilities to read people and to interact in ways that she can build and maintain friendships. So that's something I would look into. Um, Has she seen a psychologist before for an extended period of time?
3: She has seen a psychologist twice and actually the last time the psychologist asked me to fill out a form for autism and when I was filling that one up the questions are mostly negative. Um, except that she's very shy around her people, are, you know, in her age um, so anyway, I gave it to the psychologist and the other um, doctor told me that uh, she might have the ADD or ADHD so I took her to a test uh-huh. done and um, she had had that TOVA test but because she didn't have enough sleep obviously, she was on her phone the whole night um, the TOVA test came pretty low and um, the, the worst thing happened, and the psychologist back there when she did the TOVA test, she said, she's, I said she's pretty smart, she just cannot concentrate. She told me, No, she's not as smart at all. Look at, and it was in front of her. The psychologist no, not said that? at all. And I was just like, The psychologist said she's her. not smart at all? Yes. Yeah, exactly, oh that's gosh. exactly, and I just, and I, she said, no, she's not as smart at all, wow. well. look at this graph, that's... and she's not as smart, if, this, if she was smart, the graph was showing differently, and I was just looking at her, that's what I used to
1: This was a clinical psychologist?
3: Yes, she, it's uh, I'm the really one that did test. Okay,
1: I'm, I'm very, because even, first of all, the TOVA test isn't a measure of intelligence to begin with. Um, second of all, even if someone got, let's say you did an IQ test and was low, you wouldn't say it like that at all in front of them or to the parents. I'm really shocked that that's very uh, un- unfair and wrong of that doctor to do that. I'm, I'm really shocked. Okay. Um, yep. uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm still feeling something like the Asperger's. If you're saying she's having such a hard time making friends to that the degree you're talking about, it, it seems like she's having some big trouble socially. And there are things that she can, I I would take her, you know, if she's only seen two psychologists or two sessions up to now, I'd say that's obviously not enough. She needs to see someone, uh, of course, talk to her, see what she wants to do herself uh, to get a better assessment, understanding. And then she might need some type of services, you know, for people who might be struggling the way she is. There's even things like social skills classes where they go and they learn some type of basic social skills, how to pick up on cues a little bit better, and just how to engage a little bit better, because it seems like that's a struggle, and she needs that. And um, if her grades dropped off the way that they did, it could be attention and concentration, but also depression leads to issues like that, including attention and concentration. So she seems to be struggling and not feeling very good, and I, I would say most definitely she needs to see someone ADHD is possible but that's less of what I'm concerned about. It it could even be there but more I'm concerned about these other things that socially she struggles so much and that isolates her very much and she gets stuck in her phone and and really doesn't want to interact with people and I wouldn't just say put your phone away but start to help her to have better opportunities and better uh, experiences socially because right now she's really suffering.
3: And um, the point is that uh, the doctor told me that she, if she wants to be in a group of kids with the same kind of issues, and she totally, she said no. She rejected uh, absolutely. She doesn't, if you want to go to like a party or something, she says no. So, she, so she's basically, um, um, just she, that's her and the phone. That's, that's, that's her life. Yeah. And, um, now
1: when you talk to her, does she say she wishes she had friends?
3: she has a couple of friends i know but you say she she
1: wishes she had more social like does she seem disappointed in her social life or is she like i have yes yes okay so i'd focus on that yeah
3: yeah, she was crying the other day and said, I, I uh, ate alone again uh, mm. today in the classroom, in the, in the school. And she was crying and she said that was the worst day of my life. Mm. So, uh, so I think she's shy. She cannot connect with the people. Yeah, it's bigger than shy. Yeah,
1: we're talking about more than shy here. It's stronger than that. And so I would talk to her and, you know, you never can force her and I don't want you to force her to do anything. But to see that, you know, this something like the social skills class, if that's what the... the individual is recommending for her it's going to be tough for her but it can help her with this you know it might be helpful okay. so i would really talk to her and she needs to see see someone of course she has to want to but i'd really talk to her and make this important i don't think i don't want you to just think your issue is from what you're telling me quickly in the minutes we've talked that it's just adhd and if we get her on some riddle and everything's going to be okay it seems like it's much more okay. than that to me it seems like uh something like an Asperger's type issue, a social skills type of an issue. Mm-hmm. I think that's why that okay. psychologist gave you that, uh, that autism questionnaire because uh, right. even in what you told me briefly, I'm getting some of that feeling, the way that her interests are. Um, the way she is socially, the lack of being able to make the connections and the friendships. And it's heartbreaking. She wants it, but, you know, she can't get it. And at the same time, it's so scary for her. Imagine for her, she's used to people socially rejecting her things not going well. So when you tell her to even go to this class, it's scary for her to put herself in that situation. She's escaping into the comfort of her phone, but it's going to leave her in the long run uh, upset and disappointed in in her life. So you have to try to encourage her without forcing her to go to something like these classes but also to see a psychologist Um, I would focus less on the ADHD and more on the social issues that she's dealing with
3: okay is there any books that you would suggest that either me or her can read
1: Um, Um, you know I'm having a hard time thinking of a book off the top of my head I would say go and make sure you google things like Asperger's syndrome go look at the symptoms see if they match for her but really you know there's no book specific if I think of one I'll announce it on the air soon but nothing comes to my mind right now but i'll definitely look up see if that relates if you see those overlap and also again encourage her that you know it's difficult you know she doesn't like it but it going to a class like this might help her make friends in the long run and see if maybe you can get her you know to to motivate her to go in and do that and definitely meet with a psychologist and she deserves somewhere to go talk about what she's going through
2: okay
1: all right thank you so much much for for coming take care all right bye-bye All right. Thank you to all the callers and the listeners out there, and to Raman here in the studio. You've been listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Dalakwi. Hope you have a wonderful day.